Welcome to episode four of this new podcast series by the Program in International Nutrition at Cornell University, or as we call it, the PIN podcast. In this series, trainees in PIN interview leaders and rising stars in the field of international nutrition and global health. So today on the podcast, our interviewers include myself, my name is Sam, and I'm a postdoc in PIN, as well as three PIN graduate students. Hola a todos, yo soy Elizabeth. Hola, yo soy Christy. Namaste, I'm Nidhi. And our guest for today is Sean Baker, the Chief Nutritionist for the U.S. Agency for International Development, or USAID, which is based in Washington, D.C. Sean chairs the agency's Nutrition Leadership Council, oversees the vision and strategy of the agency's Center for Nutrition and the Bureau for Resilience and Food Security, and coordinates related efforts across USAID to address malnutrition in low-income countries. So welcome to the podcast, Sean. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Um, start us off, could you please tell us a little bit about your role with USAID and describe what a typical, if there is one, day for you looks like? Thanks so much, Sam, and thanks everyone for having me uh, and for joining for this interview. So uh, as chief nutritionist at USAID, it's a, it's a relatively new role. Uh, I started just before the pandemic hit. And USAID is in a way similar to many large structures and certainly similar to the governments with which we partner, that nutrition sits in different parts of USAID, a big chunk in global health, which really focuses on delivery of nutrition services, the health system, and the Bureau of Resilience and Food Security really focuses on agriculture, so nutrition-sensitive agriculture, nutritious food systems. And then, of course, a big burden of undernutrition sits in humanitarian situations. And so the Bureau of Humanitarian Assistance uh, integrates life-saving nutrition services as part of humanitarian response and also does a lot of work on the development of more nutritious food products uh, to, to deliver during emergencies. And we are also very much a country facing organization. The bulk of our human resources, financial resources and decision-making are in our field missions, who we think are best able to engage with local stakeholders and understand the context and then program effectively. Now, that's all good. What poses a question then for nutrition is then who owns it, who takes the leadership, how do we work together? And I say that for USAID because I think it's very similar, as I said, for other, for, for, for any organization working on nutrition and certainly with the governments we partner with. The whole spirit of the scaling up nutrition movement is that of how do governments elevate nutrition, bring the different sectors that work on nutrition together and drive better accountability. So to help address that in USAID, we've had for quite a while, we have the basis is a multi-sector nutrition strategy, which we started in 2014. Um, we have had for quite a while, a good nutrition technical working group, which are the, what I call the nutrition brain trust across those three pillar bureaus. And then really at the leadership level, a nutrition leadership council, which brings together the senior management from those three pillar bureaus, as we call them, as well as very importantly, the regional bureaus, which supervise our missions. And so my job, I chair that. And so I'm sort of the point person at USAID to wake up every day to make sure what are we doing about nutrition? How do we keep nutrition well-coordinated? But then also how are we using our voice externally to make sure nutrition is prioritized among our partners? Um, now, 
then you asked about what does one of my days look like? Um, I would first caveat that, of course, because I started this job on February 5th was my first day in the office. And then within a month almost, we were working in telework mode. And so I'm not sure there's anything normal about what my trajectory at USAID has been. Uh, and it can vary a lot of a lot of internally focused meetings. The last uh, two months we've been involved in global learning and evidence exchange events with our missions across Africa, Latin America, and Caribbean. And then the last two weeks with Asia. Uh, and so that can be, a, so it, it's really, it's hard to say what a routine day is. Sorry to punt on that question, but that's the reality is it. it uh, but every day I will say is deeply informed by the nutrition agenda. That is really fascinating. Um, we would love to hear more about your career trajectory, how you went from studying marine biology in college uh, to being where you are now and how uh, being in the Peace Corps uh, maybe helped you uh, be into that path. Yeah, thank you for that. I sometimes pose the question myself. So I was on a trajectory to be, I think I watched too many Jacques Cousteau documentaries when I was growing up. And so I wanted to be a marine biologist and I, studied marine science and biology uh, at the University of Miami, but also really wanted to join the Peace Corps. And because I had a tiny bit of history of learning French from my middle school and high school days and my background, uh, Peace Corps decided to send me to a French speaking country. And also because I had a science background to teach uh, biology and chemistry. So I started teaching biology and chemistry to high school students in a um, uh, agricultural technical high school in the very middle of what was then Zaire, uh, now DR Congo. And um, certainly you see the world differently uh, then. And uh, among other things, uh, over the summer had uh, engaged with uh, local missionaries in the local district hospital to do what then were called well baby clinics, where we basically visiting villages to weigh and measure children, provide vaccinations and provide counseling, nutrition counseling to, to moms. And that's when I'm like, wow, yeah, marine biology is great, but this is just stunning what some of the challenges are faced, but then what some of the potential is. And so, you know, initially my thoughts were, oh, do I want to go into medicine either as a physician or as a nurse? But I also realized that I don't have the psychological makeup to do individual patient care. I deeply respect those people who can, but that that was not gonna be something I could do. Um, and then I, that's where I actually discovered that public health existed as a field because I'm not sure when I was growing up, we really thought about it and uh, wanted to really focus on maternal and child nutrition, but very much from a public health standpoint. Um, so it goes back to very deep rooted, uh, the Peace Corps really did totally reformat my career trajectory. Uh, and then I've been, I think, very fortunate of even in my days, early days when I was studying my, for my master's of public health at Tulane University, Tulane had a number of overseas technical assistance projects and I got involved and I actually was based uh, overseas for again in the Ministry of Health of Niger as the country representative for the famine early warning system because this was the height of the Great Sahelian uh, Horn of Africa famine 
where people felt really taken off guard and how do you actually get ahead of these crises to understand the leading indicators so you can get, get prepared for them. And so that, that really started my trajectory on nutrition. So yes, you can repurpose your career quite dramatically. <laughs> Although who knows, maybe I'll end up being a marine biologist uh, at some point. Okay, <laughs> oh, that's, that's really, and I think it's really impressive, not only hearing about how not every day is the same day in, <laughs> in your previous questions and also uh, how traveling and your life experiences shape uh, how you, you aim your, your career and how that sort of like feel a bit of that purpose, purposeness into working in a field that can be so difficult. And I think from the perspective of students uh, and young professionals, this really look like a, like a complex field with many different people having many different uh, opinions and, and, and you know, roles to play into it. And so between all this traveling and getting to more into uh, in depth with the, in the nutrition field, um, would you give us a little bit of an insight of how you managed to, to sort of like bring all of this together, uh, traveling a lot, adapting to different environments and then working with different partners at different levels um, and still trying to, to bring meaningful change in nutrition? No, thank you for that. Um, maybe let me flip that complexity on its head in a way. And I, you know, obviously I feel very passionate about nutrition. Uh, I think that's an evidence-based passion when we see the transformational power of good nutrition on saving kids' lives and building them, you know, supporting them for better futures. What I, but I also find it incredibly intellectually stimulating. In what other field, one day could you be dealing with a flour uh, miller and the same day you'd be talking with a frontline health worker about how to best support a mom to breastfeed, or how do you deal with physicians who are revising protocols for treatment of acute malnutrition to, you know, so, or how do you actually deal with plant breeders who are trying to increase the nutrient density of staples or sweet potatoes? Uh, so uh, while the complexity can be daunting at times, I also find it's just incredibly uh, intellectually enriching because I think as nutritionists in a way we're, tr we're trained to straddle many different fields and the world's getting more like that is we understand the complexity of systems. Having just a very narrow understanding is actually I think less and less relevant to dealing with the problems we're tackling. If you look at an issue like climate change, it's the quintessential systems problem, right? So I actually think I, I would flip it on its head of that complexity can be daunting at the same time. I think it's one of the things that's really exciting. And then how do you, even in that complexity, um, distill it down to a given sector? I mean, if you're dealing, again, I'll come back. If you're dealing with that frontline health worker, she doesn't need to know everything about every aspect of nutrition. You need to be focused on what are the few key things that she needs to port on to deliver. If you're dealing with that uh, cereal flour miller, they don't need to know everything about nutrition. They want to focus on these are the nutrients that need to be put into that flour. This is, the, this is how, so I, I think you become translators of we need to embrace the complexities of the professionals, but then we actually, our big job is actually to demystify make it less complex and translate it into very concrete actions that these different stakeholders can, can do. Um, 
I think you you asked about you know I I pre-pandemic although you know it's been a while I I spent a huge amount of my time traveling but to me at the end of the day I find that is also what's the, the most energizing anytime I go on a field visit you're actually engaging with people the people we serve I'm always learning something new there's always insight and to me that's what keeps my blood pumping and so while it can be exhausting at times it's also my greatest source of energy yeah that's that's really awesome I think um I think that's very helpful for especially international students uh, and international students conducting international research uh, work and, and keep these things in mind because definitely having an, uh, an open mind and open ear to what is happening in the, in the field can really uh, not really make a difference but keep us really engaged um, with what's happening and what we want to, to address as what you were saying, translators of, of nutritional information. If I also build on that point you said, I think, and we're seeing these changes in the world before the pandemic, but I think these changes have been accelerating because I think there's a big shift of, you can be globally engaged no matter where you're based. And I do think it's been one of the potential benefits of the pandemic that hopefully we'll take forward with us I've seen so many international four conferences where it's not just the usual suspects at the table having a voice. It's people from around the world and many people who are actually in the thick of things, actually getting stuff done, who have a voice at the table, who are sharing experiences, but also shaping policy. And you know, I think this, oh, headquarters decides versus the field just implements. Yeah. That's so old. That's those are the the battle days I think I think it's we and I think I think we were on that trajectory but I think that trajectory is accelerating which is a good thing well thank you so much for sharing about your job and uh, your career Sean so next we would like to know about uh, some advice that you may have for graduate students or what you would have liked to know as a graduate student or during your first job after MPH yeah maybe even my first job before because I actually started, I had one of the longest MPH experiences in the world because I think I, it took me about six years because I started working while I was, before I completed it. And then, so I, I did complete it though. But, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that as a graduate student, uh, but even as undergraduate, you focus so much on technical issues. And of course we need to have technical chops to have any credibility, right? But at the end of the day, when I look at my life, most of my life, and how I spend my time and the talents I use, 5% of it are technical issues. 95% of it is how do you engage with people and with systems to make change? How do you communicate effectively? Um, how do you build relationships of trust? How do you prioritize? Again, coming back to Elizabeth, your point of this is so complex, how can you possibly get a handle on it? Uh, and, and I'll share a story with you of the having moved from Peace Corps, which, you know, you're, it's not totally free range, but you're pretty, you, you don't have a huge amount of structure. You're in university where you're learning, you feel, look, I'm coming out of this really bright, I know it all. And then I was embedded in the Ministry of Health in Niger, a government structure, which is, you know, uh, a very structured situation. And how do, you, how do you make change? And I was just running in consistently of, you know, 
I know what was right technically, et cetera, but why isn't the system changing? And I, I was fortunate because I sat down with a colleague uh, from the Ministry of Health whom I knew not really well, but I said, we really had a heart to heart. I said, you know, Ibrahim, I'm just, I'm just failing here. Can you just give me really honest feedback of what's going wrong? And having somebody who could be really a trusted thought partner of understanding that institutional culture and how you have to work within it. And I think, you know, you, we can, it's not at all dismissive of the technical expertise. It's, but how do you purposely build those other skill sets, which actually allow you to translate that technical expertise into action? And I don't feel I got that in my graduate school training. That, that's been in real life experiences. And fortunately, you know, a lot of failure, uh, but fortunately having a lot of, having had a lot of good guides who would also be willing to tell me when Sean, you know, you are just messing this up. Uh, it's important to have people who will tell you the truth and be willing to listen to them. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing that experience with us. And now just to wrap things up, we would like to know what your, uh, what is your favorite part of your job and maybe the worst thing about your job? The favorite part of my job, um, you know, I, I have been dedicated to this field for almost four decades. And I just find it's an incredible privilege to be in uh, one of the world's preeminent development organizations with this position to try to bring the resources we have as USAID to bear on better serving the nutritional needs of mom and children, moms and children across the world. And I think of three big buckets of our assets. Uh, obviously, when people think of a donor, USAID, you immediately think of the financial resources and the financial resources are important. But perhaps more importantly are the two other buckets of resources of an incredible uh, ecosystem of technical expertise, our internal technical expertise, the incredible expertise of our implementing partners and our partner governments. And then our convening power, because you know, when USAID and with the force of the US government, we say something that's evidence-based, uh, people will listen and we can have very respectful conversations. And to have the opportunity to help shape that and leverage those assets to deliver better on the agenda of nutrition for women and children across the world is just an incredible privilege. And I, that's what I like most. What I like least, Again, I go back to where we started. It's a bit hard to say because uh, what I like least clearly has been the pandemic right now because what gets my blood pumping? You know, at the end of the day, I'm not a headquarters person. I feel like I'm an imposter. I'm sitting at the headquarters. I'm a field person. I like to be able to understand what's going on, talk with people, uh, really see the impacts of the programs. And not being able to be out in the field whatsoever has really been a big drain. I, I think the best we can get are the, a lot of the virtual gatherings, et cetera. That's been inspiring. But uh, being distant from the real action, which happens in the field, is what I like least. And that's been exacerbated by the pandemic. Yeah, well, we hope that you can get back to the field ASAP. Um, things are looking good. So here's hoping. Um, but it was great to learn about everything you've done and are doing. Um, Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. 
And thank you to the listeners of this podcast. Stay tuned for more insightful conversations with amazing researchers in international nutrition in future episodes. Thank you so much for having me.